0: Hey, this is Lee. I really hope you've been enjoying the Business of Marketing podcast. It's from marketers and for marketers, and my intention is to bring you value, experiences, and insights that you can use. Also, if your company would like to have their own podcast, I would love to help. The team at Content Monster specializes in B2B podcasts, so if we can help, contact me at contentmonster.com. That's contentmonster, M-O-N-S-T-A, dot com. Enjoy the podcast. Listening to the Business of Marketing Podcast, where we have conversations with some of the most
1: influential and thought provoking minds in marketing, sales, and business. And here's your host, A. Lee Judge.
0: Welcome again to the Business of Marketing. I'm A. Lee Judge. Around 2010, I began working for a company and noticed that the receptionist desk was never occupied. The reason was that as a tech company, their front door was now their website. And as a marketer tasked with driving leads into the company, the website was the primary target of all of our activities. Websites have gone from being flat brochures to today being the interactive lifeline of most businesses. But without understanding how to develop and optimize those sites, our businesses can come up short of our goals. Today's guest is one of my favorite go-tos when it comes to understanding what needs to be done to optimize a website. He's considered a leading content marketer due to his generosity in sharing his marketing knowledge through thousands of articles, speaking engagements, and conferences, including his own conference called Content Jam. So without further delay, let's welcome to the show, Andy Crestodino. Hi, Andy. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. Been looking forward to it, this. It is a pleasure. We, we've seen each other at different events and haven't had time mm-hmm. to talk very much. Uh, I, I really admire and benefit from your content. So I want to make sure I can share this with the audience because you are definitely a resource to me and I think and a great resource to others as well. So thank you for that. Thanks for joining. Yeah, oh, Happy to be here. So first of all, um, we met a few weeks ago. I mentioned that while I'm on LinkedIn, your posts are the most saved pieces of content that I run across. I, I see the blog post or the article post and I save it because each time I see your tips, uh, I want to either take action or make sure that we are already doing this with our websites, all the things you suggested. And so, and I think that's content marketing at its best because I'm sold on what you know and what you do. So tell us how is your generosity, generosity in educating your audience translated into business value?
1: Oh, so the original purpose and the first content strategy, although I probably didn't even call it that, was just the realization that, wow, people only need a website maybe every four years. And uh how do I keep in touch with so I this was 15 years ago and I had, you know, a couple hundred contacts and thought to myself, I need an efficient way to stay top of mind with these decision makers in that long interim in um in the the sales cycle. So uh I'll write an article. I'll put it on our site. I'll send it as a newsletter, and I'll do it every month. And so that was uh, the the main the original purpose was to just be top of mind. Um, what's what people ask me about sometimes is like, why does your content strategy not really address web design exclusively? That's all you do is web development. Why do you keep talking about uh, you know content strategy and analytics and you know all these SEO topics? Um, and you know as well as I do. I mean, you're a longtime pro content strategist, Lee. So you, this is obvious to you. But um, I just would never have the attention, and I would never be top of mind to these marketing leaders if I only talked about web development. Probably my main audience would be web developers. So uh, the whole point of it is just to stay visible uh, because we do something that people don't need every day. Uh, so how do you maintain durable visibility in that long interim? Content marketing.
0: So. Okay, so you mentioned, yeah, I, I do have some background in web development. And as a web designer and developer myself, I grew to understand that a very there was a very distinct difference between web design and web development. And I love that your site, from my perception, leans heavily to the development part. So can you talk to us a moment on the difference between and maybe some of the misunderstandings that companies have about the difference between web design and web development?
1: hmm well, if you do keyword research, you'll find that they're uh, almost equivalent. And if you think about the intent of the visitor, uh, you know who needs a new website, or the intent of the searcher who needs a new website, they may not be differentiating much in their mind. This person might just be searching for, you know, Chicago web design, Chicago web development. It's like the search results have a lot of overlap. Um, I think Chicago web development tends to pull up more careers and might be more likely to be a job seeker. But uh, I think what um, kind of the point, you know, the the important part of their question there is that these are actually completely different skills, different people, different roles on a team. So, if you think about uh, every website as being a combination of three things: the brand, the content, and the container for that content, the design itself, uh, then you you realize that to build a great website, you know, you have a variety of specialists involved. There's, of course, has to be a project manager. There, of course, has to be conversion copywriters. There's often an analyst who helps do the research, brand alignment, keywords. But the construction of a website requires uh, someone who's an expert at uh, conversion and UX and and aesthetics and also requires another person. Typically, it's a separate person uh, uh, for larger projects. Sometimes there's small teams of both, but someone that understands front-end programming, browser compatibility, mobile responsiveness, integration with third-party systems, uh, the CMS setup. And so there are, uh, every great site that you see has both a strong, uh, had a strong, talented person working on the uh, the visuals and front-end and UX and design. And you likely had another person who was very focused on the back-end construction, building of features, you know, the testing, CMS, other integrations. That's web development. So great web comes from when the designers and the developers work very closely together. right? There's kind of overlap here. JavaScript is is, which is that? It's a bit of both. But but when they work closely together, that's when the magic happens. And that's why it's not really a a reliable um, path to success to have, you know, these are the designers over here, and when the design's all done, then we hand the whole thing off, all these layered Mm. files, you know, it's all done in Figma or Sketch, and now it goes to... Another team, sometimes another country, like that's not ideal for the best outcomes. Because um, really, some of the coolest things that are possible in web and the highest converting pages are done when those teams work together closely.
0: So, you mentioned a moment ago about. um, Well, let me let me me say this way. Let me ask you this: from your expert opinion, I want to make sure that our our listeners have this very clear. Um, Which would you rather have: a website that wins artistic design awards? Or a website that has a high conversion rate?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you for the question, because uh, I get to make one of my most favorite, one of my favorite points. Uh, uh, let's first ask the question from the perspective of our audience, because after all, that's why we're here. Yeah. Think about the visitor. Uh, so this person in zero moment of truth, something happens in their life, right? There's a true story in the life of every visitor to every webpage. What brought them here? They search... They they see search results, they click, they land. What do they really care about on this page? Why do they take action, become a lead, or don't? Is it beauty? Not usually. Go look at your own browsing history. Scan through those dozens or hundreds of websites. Why did you take action or not take action on those pages? Was it beauty? Probably not. Uh so I'm gonna um, I say this um with some sensitivity because we have you know six full-time designers and i love their work and and everyone loves beauty but the bigger factor in why people do and don't take action isn't the design it's it's more likely the content did it satisfy information needs did it address the visitor's objections did it answer their questions did it support those answers with evidence this is why and i have friends uh, karen hopper i uh, did a webinar with her recently she works for razorfish massive agency you know them she runs mm-hmm. testing programs what are they testing? Content. <laughs> That's all they test anymore. They're not mm-hmm. testing UX. They're not testing beauty. Why would they Why would they focus on content? Because that is the key success factor in conversion rates. So short answer, I'd rather have a high converting website. That's a business objective. Uh, beauty is not a business objective.
0: And most of our audience, I would say a large majority are business oriented, uh, B2B marketers. But even if it's B2C, if it's business oriented, Conversion has to be a goal, right? I mean, that's that's the reason it's there. Um, But I was introduced to you through the world of content marketing, so let's talk about content. Um, And you're clearly clearly a leader in this space. And I want to see if you can relate and expand on this thought. Um, When I first when I first get an inquiry from a client, the first thing that I do is examine their their existing website, Um, not only to see their commitment to good marketing practice, but since my company produces content for businesses. We want to see what kind of content they're already producing. So from a content marketing and web development standpoint, what do you say when you see a website that is still more brochure than content?
1: Mm. Well, there are uh, the two main types of key phrases we search for every day are the commercial intent phrases and the information intent phrases. 80% of all queries people do are are for information intent phrases. They want an answer. They're looking for some help. They want to solve their own problem. They want advice. So those are the content marketing gives you access to that vast audience of people who just want answers and advice and help, and they want to learn their professional development. You know, they're they're um, uh, you know they're looking for best practices, um, practical tips. If you don't have a content marketing program, you've excluded all of that potential awareness. You've limited yourself to just the bottom of funnel stuff, uh, and you and your site can only really target commercial intent key phrases. A site without content marketing is an online brochure. That's all it is. It's an online brochure waiting to be downloaded. There's no other. There's nothing. There's no advice. There's no heartbeat. There's no pulse. There's no reason why you'd go twice. Right? You'd only go to this website once. So um, for us, eighty five percent of our visitors are to our blog. Uh, it's more than. It's like one point two million visitors a year, or something uh the cost the out of pocket expense for me for that is zero um you know it's all just done through content marketing so is there another path to attracting millions of of visitors uh hundreds of thousands of subscribers and followers uh, thousands of links from other websites that support your ranking for those other more valuable phrases not that i know of <laughs> this this is uh it is an amazing era to live in it's a huge opportunity people that fail to do that it's like, uh, are you trying to keep your secrets? I don't know. Lee, you know all the objections, right? Why don't people do it? It's weird. I guess their l- lack of time, lack of commitment, lack of uh, understanding of the channel, lack of awareness of um, squeamishness about being public sometimes. I don't know. But uh, no, it's a, no, no blog, no content marketing, no podcast. You've got an online brochure. Best of luck to you. That's all. You, that's. <laughs> Uh, you've That's limited yourself
0: a bit here, yeah, 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 well, you know, so you mentioned um about different forms of content someone can have on the website, and I wonder, from your standpoint, um, well let me let me go back a little bit because uh, there's a few things we hit on there um, let's Let's get back into to the SEO part. I mean, so we're talking about driving traffic to the website. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I think you have unique in your content is the amount of research you have. So you mentioned a lot of things that anybody could do in terms of, and I think maybe I would call it low-hanging fruit, you know, Mm -hmm. writing about what they do, sharing their expertise. But even I myself find the research part as a higher hurdle, which I think you are winning at. So tell me, how do you find time or how do you manage to maybe just you prioritize having research? Because I think that's why you get a lot of backlinks. That's why I would link to you is because you have... Mm -hmm new information.
1: So tell me about your approach on research and content. Well, it is a magical, almost all powerful format for content. Uh, there, if you want to publish something that gets the attention of journalists or that inspires other people to reference it, that gets shared more, that gets linked to more, those links are valuable supporting all of your rankings. It's called authority if you're an SEO, uh then uh, it is the one format for content that it has 100x the value and and results of any other. Um, so original research is basically when you stop and ask, uh, is there a missing statistic in this industry? You know, uh, what do people frequently say but rarely support with evidence? The mm-hmm. missing stat. What do people? What is the frequently asserted but rarely supported thing in our industry? So I, I'll give you some examples of of you know these sort of questions we've answered with with uh, data on our site. What features are most popular on websites? How long does it take someone to write a blog post? Uh, why do people share things and follow others in social media? Why do marketers think people share things and follow others in social media? <laughs> There's a big gap there. That was a fun uh, piece of uh, that was a fun survey, sort of a dual survey. Um, now what's a good bounce rate? Um, what percentage of uh, well, what's a good engagement rate for Google Analytics four? So when you, when you answer these questions, then you give, you support what other people are doing in their content. And then you, uh, you're being sort of, you're like a a better internet citizen. Um, you're adding more value. Uh, your content is instantly differentiated because you're the only person with that piece of data. Ask your, I don't really do content audits for clients, but if I did, I might ask this question. Is there any information, uh, for which this website is the primary source? By publishing original research, you have the opportunity to make your website, your domain, right? That URL, the primary source for new information. When you think of it that way, it becomes, uh, you get some clarity on why it's such a, a powerful format. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just more valuable.
0: That, that is golden. I mean, even today, if, we, if I'm writing an article and I know something to be true, but I don't own the research— I might skim through any stuff to say, I know he's done this research somewhere. Let me find where I can link to his research to help back up my content. So mm-hmm. that's an example of your content, first of all, being stronger because of the research. And then other content marketers wanting to link to your content because it supports their content. Um, if they're not able to do their own research, which everyone should try to try to, <laughs> but they can't research everything. So.
1: Well in the last week, so we just published our our uh, ninth annual blogger survey. we get a thousand bloggers to answer 20 questions in the last week uh, someone wrote about it someone wrote an article that mentioned it on wordpress.com that's mm-hmm. a domain authority ninety five website on SearchEngineJournal.com, dot com that's a domain authority ninety website I mean these aren't I didn't do any outreach i'm not I'm not um, pitching stories. It's just, these are just people spontaneously finding it and link to it. It's, SEOs maybe are skeptical that this is possible, but I'm going to put it in plain English. Can you build a content strategy that organically, spontaneously attracts high domain authority links every week with zero effort? Yes, <laughs> it is possible. I'm showing you in, you know, just put orbitmedia.com into your favorite SEO tool and look at it. Uh, we never do outreach, uh, except to get survey respondents, because that's how you get the primary data. But um, it's extremely but you do effective.
0: Extreme, you do extreme quality. And that's something that I think uh, what you do is, a, is a, a case study for quality content. And we all appreciate that. So thank you again for that. Well,
1: thanks, Lee. I, I appreciate <laughs> You know what it takes. So that means a lot coming from you.
0: I know what it takes. And I know I'm like, boy, that's a high bar. And I, and I appreciate it. That's why I love to, you know, to, to reference you because I know what it takes. I know it's not, it's not fluff. It's a lot of work. And I look at it and go, wow, they put a lot of work into that content. It deserves all the accolades it can get.
1: So. Oh yeah. 15 hours, 20 hours, the annual survey, more than a hundred hours. Who who else? I mean, if you want to be different, you know, you know, you're differentiating when you're spending a hundred hours on a single piece of content. It's a, it's a big lift. Um, but you know, it's, it's usually 10X efforts that lead to a hundred X rewards.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so speaking of rewards, I mean, one of our rewards, a lot of our rewards come from Google. So let's dig into some of the more stressful details of maintaining a website, which is keeping up with what Google defines as optimized. Um, if if a company's site is effective in driving business, what is your approach to addressing Google if it says that your site is slow or not optimized properly?
1: Mm. Well, the site speed thing is uh, thankfully uh often addressable just with tools and plugins uh, if you've got a wordpress site we've done a lot of testing on this and there's two uh two tools that we use that can dramatically speed up a website it's smush I love the names right smush pro mm-hmm. and w uh wp rocket um also anything that that does kind of a cdn style caching like i think cloudflare cloudflare has services for that uh, these things are, there's ways to speed up sites um it's It's a bit more forgiving than it used to be when we used to go through the code like line by line. Um, other so that's that's a factor. Uh, core web vitals is probably the triggering term if you've heard that that sends people running to kind of try to speed up their websites. Um, I do think that a bigger factor is really the quality of the page. So we mentioned you know spending fifteen hours on a piece of content. My last article was three thousand five hundred words and had twenty images. Yeah. Hey Andy, why would you make an article with that much content if site speed was that important? Because the quality of the content is actually the biggest factor. Mm-hmm. So before you worry about site speed, and there may be technical reasons why you have low rankings and they should be addressed, but what you know after you address those, shortly thereafter, you should be asking yourself, why would Google believe this URL to be one of the top 10 pages on the internet? Did I make this one of the top 10 pages on the internet? Did I add... Did I support my assertions? Did I add detail? Did I skip any steps? Is it thorough, complete? Is it visual? Is it engaging? Is there, you know, is it referenced by other pages on my website? That's really when I'm doing SEO, that's my first and last thought is, is this legitimately one of the best pages? If my audience were the jury and Google were the judge, could I stand and make closing arguments that this URL is like the ultimate on the topic? That's my mm-hmm. goal, is to, is, is to have that level of confidence in it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of little things in SEO you need to do, many, many search ranking factors. But it, the best SEOs are a bit obsessed with quality first, even though that may seem squishy and subjective. Uh, you, you should believe in your stuff and then, um, then get to work with all the little elements that help indicate relevance.
0: I like that. It's good to hear because I'm guilty of myself looking at um, you know, the, the Google statistics of how my website's doing. And thinking, oh, God, do we need to tweak this and fix that? And we have the plugins you mentioned. We're using almost all of them, you know, mm. plugins and platforms from CDNs to, you know, image optimization. All those things are in place, but it's really hard to satisfy Google. But then we realize, well, we got several leads today through the site. And through the page, they say is slow, but yet it's converting. So we're like, eh, let's not take a chance in breaking what's working.
1: Um, oh, and Lee, so, I'll give you a, if you, if you're, if you want to confirm that site speed is not a uh, a primary search ranking factor, look at any search for any phrase, if and and just put all the sites that rank high into those tools. It's extremely common for sites that rank very high to have relatively low core web vital scores or low page speed scores. How is mm. that possible? It easily possible. It's it's not a heavily weighted site speed is not a heavily weighted search ranking factor in my experience.
0: You know, here's a rough, very unscientific experiment that I did similar to that. I looked at all my competitors and I looked at the speed of their sites and most of them were slower. And i said, well, you know, if if they're Mm -hmm. slower, but they're competitors and some of them may be doing more business or less business than us, I'm like, well, that's my competition, not Google. So yeah, you, know, you nailed it, customers. Yeah,
1: you did it. You did exactly what I was. So that that's a great example, right? It's um, and I'm not I'm not advocating for slow websites. You know, there's there's uh, we should all be trying to speed up our sites. You know, it's good for sustainability. It reduces. Uh, server load at hosting centers. It's a global, you know, it's a carbon emissions thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. lots of important reasons. You know, it's a usability thing. People want to access your site from a country with, you know, or from a region with low band, low band, low uh, connection speeds. Mm-hmm. And we and it's a UX thing. You know, we have every good reasons to speed up our sites, but so do them and do them all, but don't do them with a high expectation for it affecting your search rankings. Good to know. Good to know because
0: we've all probably gotten to some. uh Moments when we're obsessing over a second or millisecond when our page quality isn't where it should be.
1: Yeah. Make
0: (laughs) make a better site. Yeah. And not worry about that millisecond that you're missing. So, you know, I I always want to urge our listeners to, I want us to subscribe to your newsletter. So uh, on LinkedIn, is that where your main, cause I know when I look at my email list, I'm hearing from you typically through your LinkedIn newsletter. Is that your primary newsletter?
1: The newsletter has actually always just been on our website, and it uh, it's a bi-weekly newsletter. So when LinkedIn created that, here's I, I'm going he, back to the site. Right. Yeah. So here's the behind the curtain story. So for me, LinkedIn is a syndication platform. It's not the original version of anything. We write the article, it goes on our site, and then I have a virtual assistant uh, take the t- take the top two thirds of the article and put it into LinkedIn as a newsletter, um, and then uh because it's on linkedin linkedin's promoting it to their audience and they they grew my newsletter never had more than like 15,000 subscribers linkedin promoted the heck out of our newsletter and has 150,000 subscribers there now yeah i'm spending almost no effort on it quite honestly because it's just you know the, the VA is push is pushing content over there i think it's it's successful partly because they gave it a very descriptive but generic name digital marketing tips that was like right. a like yeah like it's like kind of an anti-branding an moment. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's called Digital Marketing Tips. So you know it's for you if you want that. But then um uh the the that's a weekly newsletter. So what do I do every other week, right? The off weeks when I don't have a new piece of content. So I go back to high value older things that are still relevant, evergreen. So every other week it's a it's a recycling or resyndicating an older newsletter. The visibility of these is so high that it's greater than my entire website. Like there's more, there'll be like 40,000 views on it. Like what? Like that's ridiculous. Like it's, it's, it's breathtaking how many people are on that platform. So I'm getting used to the idea of building on rented land, which we used to say, don't build on rented land.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not sold on not doing it, but sometimes rented land is profitable so it's like, if you, it's like real estate, you know, I mean, it's, it is yeah. the same real estate um, reference still sticks. If you're renting profitable land, you know, if you rent land under McDonald's, it might be worth renting the land, you know, because we do the same well thing.
1: Said.
0: We also syndicate it. And the reason why I ask you that way, because I, um, I said to myself, I know I get Andy's newsletter regularly. Let me see how I get it. And I forgot about, because I know you do the, you know, read, read the rest of it here on the website. You drive traffic back to the website, which is obviously what we, we would do. But um, I was looking through my emails. And when I searched your name in my email list, I saw all the LinkedIn references. Mm. And I'm thinking, I don't think I actually subscribe to, directly to it, your newsletter. I subscribe through LinkedIn, which still gives me the newsletter. So mm-hmm. it's still effective from that standpoint. And, and you're right, LinkedIn and I'm waiting, you know, they typically they'll push something new for a period of time and then it dies away. Mm-hmm. That one, though, when I first put out my first newsletter, um, when you first do it, it announces to your whole database that right. you have a newsletter. And when I first hit publish, we got 3000 subscriptions. I'm like, nowhere in marketing does this happen. What happened? What was the error here? Because that's not how it works. Nobody publishes a newsletter and gets 3,000 subscriptions the moment they publish. then I realized, oh, okay, LinkedIn sent out to 20,000 of my followers. That's amazing. <laughs> and 3,000 subscribe. And I was just, yeah, it was unbelievable. And it still seems to be very effective, so.
1: It is. And, and um, if, you know, as a sort of a traditional digital marketer, I, 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 I'm an analytics guy. I want to see traffic and conversion rates. I'm looking at, you know, what sources of traffic bring people to the site and measuring it in the, that traditional way. I don't get that with LinkedIn. I don't get a visitor, right? I don't get all the metrics, and I can't see the bounce rate of that or the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, the, the act, the, you know, the all the other engagement metrics on an article. I can't see the open rates on the email, right? You just don't. It's it's a different thing. But what's the goal here? It's to stay exactly where you started in your very first question. I need to be top of mind with decision makers who need what we do every four years. I'll take it. (laughs) I'm very happy. I'm grateful. Thank you, LinkedIn. I hope we're driving traffic to your platform. If you're listening, LinkedIn, I hope we're driving good traffic to your platform, which of course is your goal. Uh, Happy to help support that and grateful to the visibility you've created for people like me and Lee.
0: Absolutely. And and speaking of that visibility and all the articles you've written, because there's been so many of them and been so helpful. Is there any particular one article that sticks out as an anomaly or it's just been lots of feedback or anyone that sticks out?
1: Oh, I, you know, we should all ask that question of each other more because it's, it's going to, you're going to get something interesting. I'll say one of the most valuable pieces of content I've published is something that I use that I was never really optimized for search and I never really even shared it on social media. It's a bottom of funnel, sales focused article that describes the best practices for a, a B2B service page. And it's got this checklist and this diagram. These are 13 things. You'd be crazy not to make sure that your B2B service pages, they should all have these 13 things.
0: I know that one. I went through all 13.
1: <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> the, remember yeah, it's, it. <laughs> people remember that one. We, well, we kept it at the top of the blog. It's going to stay there because it's a sales-focused article. It's bottom of funnel content. I, I pull it up during meetings with prospects because I still do sales. Marketing is really only half of my job. And I'm in a meeting with a prospect. I'm looking at their site. I'm saying, well, let me just share some perspectives on the current site. Maybe things you can do immediately. Here's our best practices. Then you follow up with a with a link. You send them the link in the follow up email, and it immediately demonstrates expertise. So it's a, I love that article the most um, because uh, I've it doesn't because it's the metrics by which it's judged are more directly uh, connected to business outcomes. It's a sale. I use it as a sales tool.
0: Absolutely, and it's funny because I. I didn't expect you to mention one that I actually remembered. I mean, <laughs> I, I get the value from you every day and I, and I remember things that I learned through you or through, through Andy or through Orbit or whatever, but I don't tie it to a specific article. You mentioned one that I ex- do remember specifically that article and that one being, okay, let me go through and look at these and make sure we're hitting all these because this is great content. So,
1: you Lee, don't you wish there was a metric somewhere where we could report on memorability the most important <laughs> yeah. metrics you'll never get, right? Never get. You'll never yeah. see what people remember the most, what people talk about in word of mouth the most. You know, there's, uh, you can't see which articles of yours got bookmarked the most. Some of the most important things are you, you'll never know. But uh, uh, those would be the ones in my dream dashboard would be, you know, yeah. maybe even um, a took
0: action report because I I know we took action. We probably added things. I know we added things or subtracted things from our most popular service landing page because of that article. We're like, okay, look, we don't have this, we don't, but we do have that. Add this, move this around, reword this. We took action because of that article. So that would be a great metric to have if you could.
1: <laughs> you just made my day. Knowing that you, someone like you actually applied that. So for the listeners, here's the, here's the shortcut. You, you could find the article, but uh, it suggests making sure all of your pages have faces Uh, Making sure all of your pages have quick visual credibility, like logos or as seen in or certifications or awards. Making sure your, your, uh, not articles. I mean, your, your service pages, making sure your service pages have meaningful subheaders. So don't say our solutions, say our podcast production and promotion solutions. Be specific in your, in your subheads. Uh, so it's a, it's a list like that. Short paragraphs, internal links, calls to action. Um, uh, you know, the meaningful visuals. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward checklist, but it's, it's useful, and if someone like Lee, I mean, Lee, if you liked that, that means a lot to me.
0: Well, sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of someone who has done the roundup. Like, you know, I, I may have known those 13 things, but was I doing them? And for you mm-hmm. to put them in a clear article to say, look, Lee, you may know these 13, but you've thought about them over your long career. Have you actually done these things? And so... That organization, even f- whether you know it or not, whether it's new to you or whether you know it and it's organized mm-hmm. for you, there's still that a tremendous value in there.
1: So, so that reminds okay. me, someone I met once said that um, you know, ten x content. People talk about that a lot, and normally what they mean is write a longer, bigger thing. Mm-hmm. But I, someone else said to me once, "Is there uh, you can also be ten x in in being ten times more concise? Yeah, or ten times more simple, right?" To see all thirteen things on one little graphic, so it's in, so I think um, it's a reminder that ten x is doesn't necessarily just mean ten million words. Uh, can you get to the point faster, or make it more accessible, or di- digestible, or practical? Um, I think that's uh, uh, maybe partly why that piece works. Yeah,
0: it's something I'm trying to learn right now because I've been asked to do courses, for example, and one of the biggest hurdles for me to get over is that some of the information's out there. Maybe all of it's out there on YouTube mm-hmm. for free. But no one wants to go through 30 videos to find all the information if you can put it in one package, you know, one course, or whatever. And that's a tough one for me to get over, to say, why would I do this again if it's already been done? But maybe, like you said, the conciseness to have it in one place is part of the true value.
1: Uh, this is going to sound terrible after my, 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 um, my recommendation to do original research, but... In some ways, originality is a bit overrated. Your audience won't have seen all of those, and won't have time to go pull all those disparate bits of advice together from from thirty different videos. So the goal isn't necessarily to be um, the only or first to say a thing. Uh, It's to just package it in a better, more accessible, more findable way than than the competitors do. Uh, I think that's a. I, I struggle. I'm giving a presentation later today where it's like stuff I've talked about a lot. But it's in a new room, and these are new people, and I have to remember that there's, there's, um, you know, some of them may have seen some of that before, but for a lot of people, um, even if I've said it a hundred times and everyone else has said it a thousand times, um, just wait—they're going to write it down when I say it, and they're going to go apply it because they maybe haven't, you know, maybe it's new to them.
0: So speaking of all that content, Andy, that you have out there, um, I want to make sure that the listeners are able to continue to learn from you maybe do business with Orbit Media, read your books, et cetera. So tell us about how we can continue to learn from you and keep in contact with you and your information.
1: Well, everything I know, we package up every year into the, trying to be 10X content. It's the most comprehensive version of everything we've done, which is a book. It's called Content Chemistry, and it is now finally available on Amazon. It took, uh, I'm sure you can relate these big projects. It took uh, about eight months uh, to update from its previous edition. This is version six. It's 80 pages longer. It's got everything, pretty much everything in it. Um, Other than that, LinkedIn, we mentioned LinkedIn. And other than that, I would just say um, uh, orbitmedia.com, which is um, the platform itself. And that's where you can see our events. We do a monthly webinar. We do an annual conference, which is coming up. Um, But connect with me anywhere. On LinkedIn, the button says follow. You can skip that for listeners here. Just go to the, what is it, the more, and then go down and you can connect with me, of course. Um, uh, don't hesitate and I'll help however I can
0: awesome and listeners you will not regret it so again thank you Andy for joining us we really appreciate it
1: my pleasure glad this finally happened Lee this was great yes
0: yes yes definitely and, and thanks to the listeners if you're listening to the podcast and you want to see Andy and I video the podcast and others are available on in the podcast section of contentmaster.com. thanks again thank you for listening to the business of marketing podcast a show brought to you by Contentmonster.com, the producer of B2B digital marketing content. Show notes can be found on Contentmonster.com as well as aleejudge.com. To continue the conversation, be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform.